Some of you, that was way before you were born. Anyway, some of you not so much. That's a Bob Dylan song. If you're not familiar, Jeff sounds a lot better. The team sounds a lot better. Yeah. Then and now, like I want to say 1978 or so. What a great song. Bob Dylan had like three really awesome albums. They were albums back then. Those are eight tracks. Um, <laughs> And uh, check it out if you, if you haven't heard really some inspiring words to his songs. He had given his life to Jesus back then, and uh, I don't know where he is on his spiritual journey today, but it was really an inspiring time just listening to what he had to say. you got to serve somebody. That's the truth. Amen? You know, talking about 1978, uh, Claire and I graduated in 1980, and uh, last year was our 40th reunion. So we were planning on going, and then, you know, COVID happened. So uh, that, that kind of threw that back, uh, threw a wrench into that, so that didn't happen. So actually last night was our 40th slash 41st class reunion. That's how old we are. So um, we didn't go, and a lot of people probably had a better time. But Claire and I were in, at a uh, human trafficking task force retreat yesterday, so we were unable to go, although we wanted to go, uh, maybe next year. Uh, but it made me think about what I want to talk to you about today a little bit. Um, and this is really no reflection on our classmates, but it probably is. It, it's a reflection on everybody in general. I want to talk to you about imagining a life that's extraordinary. Imagining your extraordinary life. Um, in the call to worship, we had read to us Psalm 103, a portion of Psalm 103, and I might go back to that. Um, but Psalm 103 is such a powerful picture of our extraordinary God. Isn't God extraordinary? Yeah, there's nobody extraordinary like God. Yeah, yeah, we should clap about that. Yeah. If, if I don't say anything else that's, that's accurate today, that's accurate. God is extraordinary, right? And the scripture tells us clearly that you and I are made in God's image and likeness. So if God is extraordinary, God created you to be extraordinary. God didn't create you to be extraordinary like somebody else is extraordinary. God created you to be the extraordinary he created you to be. And that's what I want to talk to you about for a couple of minutes. But anyway, getting back to our classmates, um, I was looking through pictures and stuff. And, of course, now part of the reason why I wanted to even admit that we had a 40, 41st reunion is 
Uh, we're getting old enough now that we've watched enough life of ourselves and enough life of other people to know that, isn't it amazing how there's some people that you look at and you think, gosh, that's going to be, they're going to really live an extraordinary life, especially like when you're in high school and stuff or college, whatever it might be. You look at them and you say, man, those people, they're just going to hit it out of the park. And then there's other people that you don't necessarily think they're not going to live an extraordinary life, but it would surprise you if they did. But then later on, years later, you find out that many times it's just the exact opposite of what you expected, right? You look at some people that you were sure they were just going to have this amazing, extraordinary life, and not so much, right? You ever see that? And then there's other people that really surprise you, and it's like, wow, that's great. They're doing really well. And um, what I want to talk about is how do we get into that realm? How do we move into that? What are some of the traits that we need to pay attention to? The scripture is full of extraordinary people doing extraordinary things, right? Isn't it true? Um, and you find it, you find these bigger stories with just kind of statements or just portions of scripture. Actually, the word extraordinary in the NIV, although they don't use that in heaven, but the, in the NIV version, extraordinary doesn't even show up. You got to go to more of the scriptures that God reads in heaven to find the word extraordinary show up. Things like the New American Standard. That's a joke. If you didn't realize that, that's I'm, I'm joking around. I, I'm not sure what they're reading in heaven. They may not be reading anything we're reading as far as the scripture goes. They probably have a much more accurate version, right? Anyway, um, but there's these powerful statements, and in some versions, the word extraordinary shows up. Not a lot of times, even in uh, other versions. But there's this person, there's this woman in the Old Testament, Esther. You might be familiar with her story. And she's got this one statement that she makes at one point where she literally is putting her life on the line for her people. And it's extraordinary. Her life is extraordinary. And you can kind of encapsulate it in one statement. She just says at one point, before she goes before the king and risks her life, she just says, if I perish, I perish, because she senses an invitation, and she just cannot do, be okay with the injustice, the injustice. So if I perish, I perish. Esther was extraordinary. Mary was extraordinary. There's all of these different characters. Mary, the scripture says, um, at one point in Luke chapter 1, it says, for nothing is impossible with God right? And then Mary says, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Blessed is she, it goes on, that believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. That's extraordinary, isn't it? Just think about it. it sometimes we take for granted Mary's life and Joseph's life, but how extraordinary is it as a young person to literally put your life and your reputation, everything about your life on the line, for a word from God that you've received. That's extraordinary. And Mary lives an extraordinary life. And it's to, be, it's to be honored and blessed, right? How about Daniel? The word extraordinary in some versions actually shows up regarding Daniel. He gets described that way. In Daniel chapter 5, this is what it says. Now I have heard about you that a spirit... This is, this is um, King Nebuchadnezzar speaking to Daniel... Now, Daniel's in captivity. Now, I've heard about you that you have a spirit of the gods in you, God's lower case, because Nebuchadnezzar just believes in any god that will help him. Um, and anyway, he's noticing that Daniel's got these powerful uh, insights, and he says, 
I've heard about you that the spirit of the gods is in you and that illumination, insight, and extraordinary. Everybody say extraordinary. Say it again. Extraordinary wisdom. Extraordinary wisdom has been found in you. And the scripture goes on. And it says, and Daniel began in chapter 6, it says, Daniel began distinguishing himself. Now he's under another king, King Darius now, among the commissioners and satraps because he had possessed an extraordinary spirit. Look at the person around you, somebody around you, and just say, you have an extraordinary spirit. If nobody's sitting by you, just say it to yourself. You have an extraordinary spirit. And the king intended to appoint him over the entire kingdom. So Daniel, the scripture tells us, has an extraordinary spirit. It clearly describes him as extraordinary. Or then there's the converse of being extraordinary when there's times in the scripture where people are called ordinary or not ordinary, which is extraordinary, right? In Acts chapter 7, for instance, the scripture tells us that Moses was no ordinary child. No ordinary child. Look at somebody around you and say, you were no ordinary child. You remember, we were just with our new grandson, our brand new grandson. That is no ordinary child. And I know right when I say that, you guys say, well, that's what grandfathers are supposed to say. No, that's what we should all be saying. This is no ordinary child. Now listen, Moses was no ordinary child. And some of you think, well, it must have been great for Moses. That wasn't how my childhood went. But if you read the story of Moses, we really don't understand why he's so not ordinary early on. I mean, his parents, just to try to protect him, put him in a basket and let him go down the river. They basically just say, you're on your own. Months old, weeks old, we're not sure how old. Uh, You're on your own, Moses, and off he goes. But in Acts, it says Moses wasn't an ordinary child. It isn't until long, long after that that you realize how extraordinary Moses really was, right? So maybe that's you today. Maybe you don't know what an extraordinary child you were. And that that's the word of God over your life and mine, not just Moses, not just Moses' life. You were no ordinary child because God never created an ordinary person. It was never God's intent for any of us to live an ordinary life. It was God's intent when God created you in God's image and likeness for you to live into the fullness of your extraordinary life that you were created in. And that's the mission for each one of us. How do we move into this? How do I imagine my extraordinary life? How can I do that? Well, I've got a few thoughts that I want to share with you about that, and I I touched on these last week, a couple of them, but I want to blow it out just a little bit more. The first thing is refuse to stay in mediocrity. Refuse to stay in mediocrity. In other words, refuse to stay ordinary. You were created by an extraordinary God to be extraordinary. Now, the scripture I want to read to you here is is a story that you're familiar with, but I want to tell you what happens before we start to read the scripture. What happens before we read this scripture is that Jesus feeds 5,000. People would say, some people would say a lot more than 5,000, but let's just stick with 5,000. 
miraculously feeds 5,000 people. Then he comes out of that miracle and he walks on water in the middle of a storm. You know, it's, it's, it, you might be able to argue, but you'd be wrong. You might be able to argue that walking on water is not extraordinary. I, for one, think it's pretty extraordinary. But I love how God just, like, adds a little bit extra. It's like walk on water in the storm. Right? When it's dark. I mean, just add all this stuff to it. So that's the backdrop. And as we get there, this is what happens. It says, so they said to him, said to Jesus, what sign are you going to give us? Here in John 6. What sign are you going to give us then? Now remember, he's just come out of doing these signs and wonders so that we may see it and believe you. What work are you performing? Go ahead. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it was my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So at this point, hang on to that scripture right there. Leave it up for me if you wouldn't mind. But at this point, the scripture describes, because I'm kind of jumping through this John chapter 6 piece uh, rather quickly just to get to what I want to talk to you about. But what's happening here is there's a multitude. The scripture describes a lot of disciples. It's not just 12 here, and they've watched this, and now they're asking for him to do these things, and he goes into this conversation, and he starts to describe, it's almost like he ignores the miracles that have just happened, although he doesn't, but he starts to describe who he is. Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Okay, go ahead. Amen. 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 So, down in verse 60, it says, And when many of his disciples heard it, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, Does this offend you? So, what's happened here is there's miracles, and then they ask for more miracles so Jesus could prove himself. And this is where the mediocre gets separated from the extraordinary. The mediocre just want to continue. This goes back to Psalm 103, for instance, where it says that Moses knew God's ways, but Israel knew God's deeds. The mediocre seek deeds. The extraordinary seek the one that does the deeds. It's not like you're not open to deeds happening. Obviously, Moses loved to see the deeds of God, but God wanted Mo- God, or Moses wanted God's ways. So the scripture goes on and it says, because of this, because of the things that Jesus started to talk about, many of the disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. And Jesus asked the 12, do you wish to go away? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and know that you are the only holy one of God. See, there comes a time, 
in order to live into the extraordinary where you and I can no longer rely on somebody else's faith or somebody else's deeds, including the deeds that God brings. I don't know about you, but if God never did one more miracle in my life, I have way, way, way plenty. I know that's horrible English. I have, everybody say it with me, way, way, way plenty of God's miraculous deeds in my life to last enough lifetimes to fill this room and everybody online. God doesn't need to do another amazing thing for me. Now, would I love that to happen? We just, I'll pray for it. I pray for it. I was praying for it during worship. We were all praying for those things. Doesn't mean you don't ask, but to be extraordinary, you're not seeking the deed of God to prove who God is, You're seeking the God who brings the deeds and the extraordinary into your life and mine. So mediocrity, what happens and what we see here, what happens is mediocrity becomes almost like a campground to us. This is what happens to the disciples that leave Jesus, that no longer follow. It becomes a campground. So yesterday's revelation, yesterday's breakthrough becomes the campground for today. And we begin to live a faith that's mediocre, that we begin to say, well, I'm better than most Christians. I'm better than, I'm just as good as they are. I seem to, and we come to this place where we plateau. To live an extraordinary life like God created you and I to live, we need to break through an ordinary life into the extraordinary. We do that by staying in passionate pursuit for Jesus. Amen? I love what Erwin McManus says, and this is back on, um, you guys, I know I've confused you guys back at the board, but this is back. I'll just read it to you. This is what McManus says. He says, when you were born, you were no ordinary child. Under the layers of ordinary, there is an extraordinary person waiting to be awakened. There are things inside of all of us that will remain tragically asleep and undeveloped and un." released because the fears that hold us back from being our extraordinary selves. I'm going to read it to you again. When you were born, you, not the person sitting next to you, but also the person sitting next to you. When you were born, you were not an ordinary child. Under the layers of ordinary, there is an extraordinary person waiting to be awakened. There's things inside of all of us that will remain tragically asleep and undeveloped and unreleased because of the fears that hold us back from being our extraordinary self. Break through any mediocrity that's going on in your life. Move past it. Do not camp out at that place, but continue to passionately pursue God. The second thing that we could say is we need to refuse to let our critics dictate our future. And our faith. Now listen to me. Everybody has critics. We all have critics in our life. And critics try to determine what your future and mine will be. Jesus had critics that, tried, that spoke into and over his life to try to hold him into a certain way that they would be comfortable with him living. 
Some of us, we're the critic, or we're the most prominent critical voice in our life, and we speak things over our own life that holds us in a place. We need to, in order to live into the extraordinary, we need to refuse to let our critics dictate our future. You remember the things about Jesus. They said all sorts of things about him, friend of sinners and, you know, friend of drunkards. And how about this one? After Jesus in the temple reads a scripture out of Isaiah, they're all amazed and they're almost uncomfortable with how powerful it is. All he does is rolls up the scroll or whatever, however they did that, and he goes and sits down. It's powerful. You could hear a pin drop. And what some of them had to say, isn't this the son of Joseph the carpenter? Is it... Isn't this guy's job to grow up and be a carpenter? Isn't this the guy that we're sure that his mom and dad were illegitimately married, like he's an illegitimate child? Isn't this that guy? Jesus just closed it up and sat down. He refused to let the critics dictate future. How about in Acts 4, the church is rolling out, powerful things are happening. This is one of those spaces where you see the the word ordinary used, but it's not complimentary. Acts 4.13, it says, And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men. I want every wife, if if you're with your husband, look at them and say, You are an ordinary, uneducated man. Go ahead, do that. You have my permission. Now, husbands, I don't want you to do that with your wife. Let's not do that. These are ordinary, uneducated men, but they were amazed. They recognized them as companions of Jesus, and they saw the man who had been cured standing beside them, and they had nothing to say in opposition. You live your extraordinary life and let your critics begin to be silenced. But did you ever get those backhanded compliments? Aren't they great? I've had a couple. I've heard a few over the years. One of them, uh, Scott's the pick of the litter. That's not really complimentary. I I had a guy one time said to me after a service, he says, do you normally speak to the youth group? And I I knew that wasn't like high praise for what I said. And I thought, well, I, you know, whatever. I'm sure you're trying to put me down somehow. I'm not smart enough to figure out how you're doing that. I didn't expect you to get that job. You look good for your age. You're surprisingly smart or articulate. I wish I was as chill as you are about all the clutter. (laughs) This sermon today was good. (laughs) If you can't figure it out, just ask somebody next to you and they got it. You're so charming when you make an effort. I wish I didn't have any responsibilities like you. Why, thank you. I could never pull off those clothes you're wearing. (laughs) What happens is critics and, and the accuser of the brethren try to move us into a future that is not ours to live. Break out of the mold that they're trying to put around you. 
You were created in God's image and likeness. You remember that. You keep that at the forefront of your mind. Do not settle for the ordinary that your critics are trying to box you into. Part of why critics are critics is they're intimidated by your extraordinary. Now, don't get me wrong. Extraordinary is not superior. You are not superior to another person. But you and that other person were both meant to be extraordinary. To be extraordinary is to be fully living into the person God created you to be. Let God use your critics' actions and words as a foundation and building blocks for you to be fueled for your future. Not out of anger or bitterness, but simply out of that is not true about me. It is not true about you what some people are saying. It is not true about you for some of you, what you're saying about yourself, it is not true. You are extraordinary. The first pastor that mentored Claire and I years after we had uh, moved actually out here, we hadn't seen him for years, saw him at an airport. Claire and I were going to do a ministry trip, and uh, he worked at the airport. He was no longer pastoring at that point. And Claire was in the restroom, and he came up to me, noticed me, and he, he says, oh, Scott, it's, it's really good to see you. Man, you know, what's going on? I explained to him some of the things that were going on. He knew most of what was going on, even though he still lived uh, in the Detroit area. He was privy. The church here was moving forward. Things were going well in a lot of ways. Anyways, he says, you know, it's good to see you. He says, man, I never would have expected you guys to amount to anything. And I had, I had a couple of thoughts that went through my mind. One was, I'm really glad my wife's not here right now. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to edit the version down that she hears. Another thought that went through my head was, bless your heart. That's, that's inside for anybody who's ever lived or spent time down south. Bless your heart, brother. But anyway, that moment was, was a powerful moment for Claire and I. We had a pastor when we first planted the church here that said, Crossroads Church will not last a year. Mark my words. A pastor in town. Crossroads Church will not last a year. That's ordinary thinking. And it was not a word from God. And when you get words like that, don't get angry at people. Don't get bitter towards people. You remember, I was created in the image and likeness of God. Jesus created my life to make an extraordinary difference on the earth. Which leads me to the last thing real quick I want to mention, and that is refuse to be left behind. We're all familiar with when Jesus invites the different disciples and people, or most of us are familiar, invites them to be a part of his ministry life, the last few years of his life. And one account, it says here that as Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, do we have that scripture? As Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, 
and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, everyone say immediately. They left their nets and followed him. And as he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. He called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. How are you at refusing to be left behind no matter what price it is in your life when Jesus invites you to something? I think part of the tragedy The sadness of this scripture, not so much that they left their boat, but for whatever reason, their dad didn't take the invitation. Refuse to be left behind. Claire and I were about 40 years old. You've heard the story, most of you, that Claire was diagnosed with MS. There are invitations that come into your life and mind that we don't even realize how profound they are. Anyway, so Claire was diagnosed with MS. Wasn't good. She had lesions on her spinal cord. The church was kind of up and to the right. Things were going great in many ways. And we were like going way too hard and too fast. Anyway, we were just doing what we knew to do, and there were, there were all kinds of things, doors opening, opportunities happening. The doctor wanted to put Claire, every neurologist that we had conversation with directly or indirectly with, wanted to put her on uh, treatments that would essentially put her on medication for the rest of her life. Medication that would have an impact on her physical being. Claire has two first cousins that are her same age. They both had MS. They both got diagnosed at the same time. One is now in kind of a full body cast. The other one is having all sorts of struggles. Beautiful, beautiful people. The journeys were a lot different. Anyway, one of our friends that pastors in Columbus was headed to a retreat in the Chicago area. And she called when she was driving over there, and she says, I don't know what I'm going to. My dad invited me to this thing, and I'm going to. It's just a small group of pastors and stuff, and I feel like, you know, just felt like I should call you. And Claire said, do you mind if I come? She just had like this sense. Do you mind if I come? It sounds interesting. She said, well, it was like invitation only. And Claire, Claire is so amazing. It's like, I refuse to be left behind. And she said, well, can you check? Can you check with your dad? And it was this small group of people. 
that were really, uh, most of them like very influential ministry positions in different parts of the country. They were going to meet together and just do this retreat thing. She gets a call back and says, well, my dad said it's okay if you come. None of them had met Claire. So they get there. Claire starts this rhythm of retreats every quarter. As time begins to go on, so it's prayer. It's, it's like the retreats we do here. It's worship. It's getting space for your soul. It was a different rhythm for us. It changed the trajectory of our following Christ. And it was so God. It was within literally months that the doctor began to see a difference in Claire's body. After a few years, the doctor started to see lesions disappearing. Claire was going in for MRIs every six months. At one point, every three months. After six years, the doctor said, well, I can't say you're healed because we don't use that language, but you're definitely in remission. After 12 years or so, the doctor said, I can't deny it. There's no lesions on your spine. No surgeries, no medication, refusing to be left behind. Now, that's not everyone's story, right? But that's how you live in an extraordinary way. What, is this, what, is, what are the things that God is prompting you to pay attention to and you refuse to be left behind. You don't know how God is intending on surprising you, maybe healing you, maybe blessing you, maybe rerouting your journey. Refuse to be left behind. What is the invitation when Jesus says, follow me? Will you be like those that not only sacrifice their boat, but really sacrifice their whole identity because they sense this was the extraordinary life that God's inviting me to? Whatever it is, folks, pay attention to it. Don't be afraid. Jesus loves you. And you just, when you sense that you need to follow after, I'm telling you, some of us in the room, the first thing we say when something comes up is no. That's my personality type. My initial response to pretty much anything is no. So, but for all of us, We want to make sure that we're open to saying yes to God. You can say no, but make sure you're processing and then saying yes when you need to say yes. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I think my no people know who they are, or at least their spouse or family knows who they are. You are a no person. But all of us need to be, I refuse to be left behind. Yeah, and, you know, friends, I'm going to invite you to get your communion together and, um, and... you know, you can, you can stay seated. And, um, you know, one of the things that we loved was because there were lesions on my brain, too, mm-hmm. when the doctor told me that my brain was unremarkable. Yes, yes. 
That's one of those backhanded compliments. <laughs> your, your brain is unremarkable. Thanks be to God. Um, I also, you know, um, not a body cast. You, you misspoke, but braces. Um, body braces. Yeah, body braces. And, um, but I want to say, um, what, is, uh, what is the invitation for you today, even as we take communion? And in fact, um, could someone help Scott and I with communion? We, we did not bring communion up. But we'd love for you to stand here uh, if you can. If you can't, that's okay too. But one of the things we know is that we are partakers of the divine nature. Go ahead, Don. That's been one of your favorite scriptures, right? Partakers of the divine nature. Of the Christ. divine nature. And, you know, Don, even this morning when you wrote that little um, response line, could you sing that again by any chance? Um, so I called Don this morning, said, here's Scott's changes on his talk. Could you write a little response song in the, in the prayer thing? And, and um, Don is extraordinary. And, uh, and you, know, um, you know, not just because he's talented, but because he says yes. And, uh, but he does say no first. Sometimes I go, ah. <laughs> and I don't know if you guys felt the anointing of God in that little response when we sang it today. Wasn't that amazing? Like, that just, that just filled my soul as we prayed. And, and how does it go? Let your extraordinary love be known throughout the world. Sing that together. Let your extraordinary love be known throughout the world. On the night Jesus was betrayed and facing his death, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, take this, all of you, and eat. This is my body given for you. And every time you eat, remember me. I am so grateful, God, that your presence is in the presence of your extraordinary life, that we are partakers. Can you say that, partakers of the divine nature? And as Jesus is saying, this is my body given for you every time you eat, remember me. We're going to pray this. Let your extraordinary love be known throughout the world. And then let's sing it, be found in me. Let your extraordinary love be found in me. Together we take the bread. And after supper was ended, Jesus took the cup, and after giving thanks, he lifted it up and said, take this, all of you, and drink it. This is the cup of the new and everlasting covenant written in my own blood, given for you and for all people so that sins will be forgiven. And every time you come together, remember me. Let your extraordinary love be known throughout the world and now 
this cup, God, we remember that we're partaking in the divine nature, the extraordinary nature of God. Together. Let your extraordinary love be found of the person you came with or on your own heart. Let your extraordinary love be known throughout the world. You're imparting this to your friend. Let your extraordinary love be known throughout the world. You're proclaiming it in your own soul, even the steps you'll take from here. Your extraordinary love be known out the And remember who you're going to see this week. Let your extraordinary love be known throughout the Think of your Monday, your Tuesday, your Wednesday, your Thursday, your Friday. Extraordinary So God, I bless my friends in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God, the giver of life, the one who we partake in your life through bread and wine, through songs and stories, through tears and laughter, through inspiration and revelation. And we send our friends out with the extraordinary love of God. Let your extraordinary love be known So friends, next week, I, I just want you to know, you know, after you've brought that all week long on Sunday, you're going to get to meet two of the pastors that have kept Scott and I alive. So Doug and Adele Calhoun, who are the writer of many books, um, have been our personal spiritual directors and friends and colleagues and co-authors. And you have to know that, um, you know, in their, in their years of experience ahead of us as missionaries, as pastors, as deep friends of God, they honestly have kept us alive. I just want you to know that. There have been days where they just could ask a pointed question that we wouldn't know about for another 10 years or so because of the gift of God in them. So we welcome you to come next week. Bring your friends. If you have any of Adele's or Adele and Doug's books, you want them to sign and bring, come on over. And then the following week after that is the Enneagram retreat from 9 to 1 on Saturday. And 
we're going to be talking about the ways that your extraordinary life can be brought out into the world. So don't forget to register for that. It's a pay-what-you-can retreat. And um, I don't know if you're the kind of people like the Israelites where they walked and sang, but why don't you just go out the door today saying, Let your extraordinary love be known throughout the world. With every step you take, we bless you. Let your extraordinary